Over recent weeks, uh, we've been exploring um, the question in the Gospel of Matthew, what is Jesus like? And over these weeks, we've reflected on Jesus' kindness, his grace, his compassion, his mercy, his power and his authority. And then a couple of weeks ago, John Bodley shared with us about the mystery and the truth of the cross. And in that, Jesus' dignity, Jesus as the suffering king, Jesus as the loving king, God as love. That ultimately, Jesus came to restore us to who we were originally created to be. And this morning, I want to spend some time reflecting on the truth of who we were created to be. And one particular aspect of that, that you and I and every human being has been created in the image of God. What are we like? At our core, who are we? It's a question that's at the heart of much of the angst and the pain and the struggles in our world. And more personally, it's a question that each of of us asks explicitly and implicitly as we seek to navigate the questions of life. Who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? Is this all an accident or am I here for a reason? A few weeks ago, I was in um, our kitchen at home and I was tidying up. And while I was doing that, I was listening to a a sermon from another church. And um, in that sermon, the preacher described a story that I've heard a number of times before. It's a story of a minister called Tony Campolo. And many years ago, he was in Honolulu in Hawaii. And he'd arrived there and um, he had jet lag. So he couldn't sleep. So he got up. It was the early hours of the morning and he went to a local diner. And uh, as he walked in, he got a coffee. And a few minutes later, a group of women walked in. And it became apparent that they were a group of prostitutes. And they were laughing and joking with one another. And at one point, one of them said it was her birthday the next day. She said her name was Agnes and her birthday was the next day. She was going to be 39 years old. And um, they carried on joking. And one of them said, oh, we should have a party. And she said, well, I've never, I've never had a party. And they carried on joking and they left. And so Tony Campolo, he turned to the owner of the diner and he said, would you, if I come back tomorrow night, would you allow me to bring with me a cake and some decorations and maybe we could have a party for Agnes? You know, does, does, does she come in? He says, she comes in 3.30 on the dot every morning. So he went back the next night, he had, he had decorations and there was a cake there. And um, a few minutes later, um, Agnes walked in and they shouted happy birthday to Agnes. And she stood there stunned and they stepped forward and they presented the cake to her. And she stood there with this cake and she looked at it and she said, I know you're supposed to cut the cake, but do you mind if I don't? Because I've never had a birthday cake before. And I stood in my kitchen. I've heard that, time, that um, story numerous times over the last 20 years. But I stood in my kitchen at those few weeks ago and there were tears just running down my face. And, and I couldn't quite work it out. And then a few, couple of days later, 
Um, I was at, I was driving. We were going on holiday, and I was t- I was recounting the story to Donna, my wife. And again, I started crying. And we even got to the point where Donna said, "John, you're going to have to stop talking because you're not safe driving." And I had to, had to stop. And I was and I was ref- I've been reflecting on that since about you know what was going on. What was going on in that mo- in that moment? Was it sentiment- sentimentality? Was it some biological or physio- psychological response to hearing a story like that? Was it reflecting on the last eighteen months and all the craziness of what's going on and the people who have suffered? And I think, to a degree, I think it was probably there's probably elements of that. But I think fundamentally, there is something. When we hear a story like that that connects us with a fundamental truth, a profound truth that you and I and every human being has been created in the image of God, precious, valuable, as the Latin would say, the imago Dei, that is who we are. See, I believe that what is said in Genesis 1 verses 26 to 27, is true. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the, in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What does it mean if every human being is created in the image of God? Reflecting God, reflecting his glory. Me, my family, you, the next person that sits next to me on the bus or I'm behind in a, in a queue of traffic, my friend, my neighbour, even my enemy, what does it mean? And so over the next few minutes, I'm inviting you to consider what this profound truth looks like. For most people here in the room or, or watching online this morning, you would subscribe to the truth of every human being made in the image of God. But the question that you might want to ask is, what impact does that have on me? What impact does it have on the way I live my life, in the way I see myself? I'm conscious there will be some present here today, maybe many, or watching online, who you are exploring, you're considering God. You're not even convinced that God exists. So it's not a given for you that you're made in the image of God. And you're really welcome to be with us as as you explore, as you consider. And I'd invite you maybe, as you're thinking, as you're listening to think, where you have a sense of the inherent value of people that you see around you, of every human being, where does that sense of value come from? So if it's true that every human being is made in the image of God, and for the coming minutes, I'm just going to work work on the basis, it's true. What's the nature or the substance of that truth? And so I briefly want to just look at two elements of that, two elements of that truth. 
And the first is that the Imago Dei, the image of God in us, is a transformational truth. It changes everything. If we draw back the curtain and we look intently at the truth of every human being being made in the image of God, it transforms everything. It changes how we see ourselves. It changes how we see our loved ones. It changes how we see the rich. It changes how we see the poor. It changes how we see those that we see as different to us. It changes how we see our friends and it changes even how we see our enemies. And it starts with understanding this for ourselves. I am made in the image of God. You are created in the very image of God. You are God's best idea. As you're listening to these words, do you believe it is true? Do you know it to be true at your core, at the core of your being? Do you and I know this to be true? And there's a question is, how close am I willing to get to this truth? Do I hover over it from a height looking down and looking down on the concept of Genesis 1 and saying, yeah, that, I, th- I think that's true. It must be true. And we are probably the most important and most sophisticated of, of God's created beings. Or do I allow myself to, to zoom in from that height, to allow myself to be soaked by this truth, to be changed by it? The way the psalmist in Psalm 139 was absorbed by it where the psalmist said this, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You are not an accident of nature. I am not an accident of nature. We are created. We are unique. We are made in the image of God. Yes, as the person shared during, during that word at the end of worship, yes, with our flaws and our wounds, our regrets and our if-onlys. But we are made in the image of God. We are fearfully and we are wonderfully made. And any time spent sitting with this truth is time well spent. Because it will change us. It will change how we see ourselves. It will change how we see our world. And one of our problems in our information-filled and distraction-filled and activity-filled lives is we don't allow ourselves time to reflect on transformational truth. So it sits at that high level, including the truth of what it means to be made in the image of God. Many of you, um, but not all, will know that two uh, precious members of our extended Trent family, Kat and Mary, they, they're both paediatricians and they went to live in India about 14 years ago where they've settled 
and with their team. And they, they serve with their team, their community, through, through the charity Love the One that many of you are familiar with. And they serve the most vulnerable children across their community through health provision and education and childcare. And their motto is one child at a time. The orphaned, the poor, the sick, or as they described to me this week, the discarded. Each child unique and beautiful and made in the image of God. And they've encountered huge challenges over many years, over the last year, and even over this last week. But one thing I've noticed that not at one point in all those years have they ever lost sight of the one, to love the one, each child made in the image of God. And as I look at myself, I think, what does it mean for me? What does it look like for me to love the one? What does it mean to be part of a Christian community? What does it mean to be part of my wider community? Do I in that see each day and each moment the one? Do I see and assess and judge people based on their apparent beauty or their productivity or their status or their success, which creates an inevitable pecking order in my life? Or do I see the inherent beauty and wonder of the creation of God in each of us? Am I soaked in that truth? Do I allow myself to be soaked in the truth of this? Because if I, if I allow myself to do that, I will be changed. And so I will live in a community where the weak and the strong stand alongside one another. I'm currently reading um, the book Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and it's his vision of what a Christian community might look like. And he puts it this way. In a Christian community, everything depends on whether each individual is an indispensable link in a chain. Only when the smallest link is securely interlocked is the chain unbreakable. Every Christian community must realise not only do the weak need the strong, but also that the strong cannot exist without the weak. The elimination of the weak is the death of the fellowship. If you and I will allow ourselves to be soaked in this truth that every human being is made in the image of God, we will be transformed. And so the doctrine of the, the Imago Dei, the image of God, it's a transformational truth if we will let it be. But it also is a very inconvenient truth. It's been said of art that art should comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. But isn't that also true of the word of God, of the truth of God? You know, as we reflect on the truth of every person made in the image of God, you know, it's a wonderful and a comforting truth, but it is also a disturbing truth. Because as we see more, 
of the reality of this truth, it challenges our very worldview. It challenges mine. And throughout the Bible, God consistently challenges anything that would deny or diminish the image of God in others. Anything. In James chapter 3, verse 9, it says this, With the tongues we praise our Lord and our Father, our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. You see, when we disdain or judge or mistreat or ignore another human being, we deny something of their created nature. In some way that we we deny their, their bearing the image of God. The framework that's laid out in Scripture of of how we're to behave, it's not just a set of rules, it's grounded in this truth. How we behave to one another is grounded in in the truth of the image of God in us, of the value and the dignity of every human being. C.S. Lewis put it this way, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, art, civilizations, these are mortal. But it is immortals whom we joke with and work with and marry and snub and exploit. So as we look through the Bible and we consistently encounter God's leaning towards what Nicholas Walterstorff describes as the, the quartet of the vulnerable, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, the poor, it's not a sentimental leaning of God towards a group of people. It's the reality that the orphan and the widow and the immigrant and the poor represent those who consistently throughout history have been denied their humanity. And that's an offence to God. And this is deeply challenging for me because as I look at my life, it challenges how do I, not just, not just how do I see the poor, it's how do I see everyone? How do I see and serve my family? How do I see and serve my neighbour? How do I see and serve my colleagues and my friends? How do I see and serve my church? How do I see and serve the poor? How do I see and use the resources that have been given to me? And how how even do I engage with those who offend me or who even might mean me harm? And the the reality is, for me, as I've reflected on this, is it is deeply inconvenient, and that's an understatement. It's profoundly challenging to me as to how do I see my neighbour? And if I'm honest, I regularly resist fully acknowledging the Imago Dei in another person because it means me choosing to forgive. It means me choosing to prefer. It means me choosing to stand alongside. It means me choosing to be be interrupted. It means me choosing to be inconvenienced. But the truth is, is that's exactly how Jesus lived his life in every encounter. Preferring, standing alongside, 
being interrupted, being inconvenienced, and ultimately as the suffering king that we heard about a couple of weeks ago, restoring our humanity, bringing forgiveness and redemption on a cross for you and for me. And we as followers of Jesus are called to do the same to recognise and to acknowledge the dignity and the humanity in others, in every human being, particularly those who have had that humanity either diminished or sometimes damaged. That's our call, and it's a high call. Over the next um, few weeks, as part of the ongoing conversation about race starting next week we're going to, there's going to be a series of talks on racial diversity and what it means for us as a church family and you and I have a choice as to how we engage with that that ongoing conversation what posture will I adopt what posture will we adopt and as I reflect I just want to invite you to engage from the perspective of this truth that we've been thinking about this morning, that every human being is made in the image of God. Every person of every race, of every nationality, is an image bearer of God. So let's not be quick to judge, let's not be quick to defend. As we listen, as we reflect, let's do so with an attitude of kindness and love and tenderness of heart towards our brothers and sisters.